Good morning, everybody. Happy Sunday to you. Hope you're all getting settled in there. We're opening up your Bibles. And you have a Bible. If not, right in the back of the pew, you should be have one. And that's already been used. Just ask someone to, to please grab another one there for us. <clears throat> one of the things we've learned over the years, uh, as geese fly south, snowbirds fly south, and they go in waves. <laughs> so last week I, we got to pray and say goodbye to Mark and, and uh, Kim and, and Mark and Mary. And, and, and today I want to just pray for Ernest and Linda as, uh, as they will, this will be their last Sunday and they'll be heading south as well for a time. And we look forward, Lord willing, we'll see them back here. Yes, all nice and tan looking. But we're not envious, you know, anything like that. But, uh, and then we'll just pray for, pray for the service. Father, we thank you uh, for the, allowing us to be able to gather here in your name, Lord. Because apart from you, we could not be able to come here and to sit and, and to be able to even commune with you. And so we're just thankful and grateful, Lord, that you allow us to commune with you this morning and to be able to worship you and praise you and lift our our uh, voices to you this morning. We do pray for <clears throat> Ernie and, uh, and Linda and just pray, Lord, that you would just bless them as they're preparing, as they're going through and all the different things that they have to be doing in regards to closing out one place and getting prepared for the next and and the journey ahead of them, and looking at weather patterns, and but Lord, you've, you're, you're directing them, and you're going to sustain them and protect them, Lord, as they go back south there to their home. I pray, Lord, you'll just make it a smooth transition, make it a smooth travels, a time where they're, you know, enriched in their communication as they're going back down, and and they're in just pondering on you as they're walking driving down as they as they're going together that they're just recognizing they are thankful for all the things you've done for them during this summer season up here in the north country that you would just bless them just a remembrance of all the fine wonderful beautiful things that you've exposed them to and experienced <clears throat> during this season lord but take them down there in the nice uh, next <laughs> winter season for us uh, a nice winter season for them down there, Lord, that you would just, again, uh, help them get them replugged back into a fellowship, uh, teaching of your word there, Lord, and just, again, uh, protect them there while they're gone. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. But we also, Lord, we want to thank you for the time to be able to open the service here and we study of Second Peter. Um, May your word be just illuminated by your Holy Spirit. That it would touch the hearts of every listener. That you would speak specifically to the hearts of your people. And may we grow and mature in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here for the very first time... Uh, we welcome you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just, just blessed that you're here and those online. 
We're happy that you came here and to spend some time with us. And again, the service doesn't stop after here. It goes right into the fellowship time, which is probably just a, a sweet time, literally. Uh, there's lots of sweets sometimes. But, <clears throat> but that time is where God can use uh, you in the lives of your life and in the life of another person. Uh, because it's not all about you. <laughs> I know that's hard to believe, but it's not all about you. Uh, God actually wants to, to use you to, in the lives of another person. I'm going to start by actually reading 2 Peter verses 1 through 11. And that will set us up for a verse-by-verse -verse look. Simon Peter the bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to pers perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things, if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, today you will see and discover why Second Peter is my favorite book. And it will be a life-changing one for you as well. 
We see Peter in the Gospels. His walk revealed his maturity at the time. He was talking when he should have been listening. He slept when he should have been praying. He stepped out too quickly when he should have been just holding still. And then he was holding still when he should have been stepping out. See, Peter can be many believers' favorite apostle because they have for themselves seen themselves in this man. They see the characteristics of this man and said, that's my characteristics. I see those tendencies. Those are my tendencies. That is my history. That is my walk. But here's the great news. The absolutely amazing truth, even with all of his failures and denials, even with all of his setbacks and stumbles, Simon made it through. Why? Why did this man make it? As many times as he denied Jesus himself, how could he have made it? Was it because he was popular? Was it because he, he was rich? No. Simon made it through because Jesus prayed for him. Luke twenty two thirty two. And guess what? The same thing is true for you and me. We are all believers who want to do what is right. We want to do what is right. We wake up every morning. We don't wake up and saying, I can't wait to do something wrong. As a non-believer, maybe you did. But as a believer, you don't do that. But invariably, we mess up. And we're all believers whose spirits are so willing, but whose flesh is unbelievably weak. Yet even right now, Jesus knows the temptations we face the fears that we're dealing with, the questions and the doubts that are churning and churning and overwhelming. He knows them all, and he is praying, he's interceding, the scripture tells us in Hebrews 7.25. Not because we are worthy, it is not because we're worthy that God, Jesus himself, is praying for you. He's praying for you because he is faithful. The purpose between the two Peter books, 1 Peter, if you remember, was all written about to, was written to encourage Christians under the threat of violent persecution. As we start 2 Peter, this book was written to warn those same believers 
of the danger of false teachers and harmful influences in their life. Second Peter was written somewhere between A.D. 64 and A.D. 68. Why? Because it was at the latter part of his life that he wrote this letter. And it takes us the fact that we think he died somewhere around A.D. 67 to 68. So somewhere in that time frame is when this letter was written. So here Peter in 2 Peter is encouraging the believers to know God. Not know of God, but know God. How do you know God versus know of God? There's a tremendous difference. One's personal and one is not. So as we take a look at this scripture, just the first 11 verses, he's going to encourage us to know God and what he has done for us. And he starts off by introducing, as they all, the letters always do here, of who it is that's writing the letter and to who it, he's writing them to. And it's very fascinating because as we see this, it's, it tells you of a man who knows his life is coming to the end. His ministry is finishing. His parting words are few. The most important things he needs to tell them. It says here in verse 1 that Simon Peter, so he gives his both names, which is fascinating, a bondservant and an apostle. Again, very interesting of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he writes here, the apostle here writes and calls himself Simon Peter. If you remember in 1 Peter, he starts by just calling himself Peter. But this letter, he starts off by saying Simon Peter. Have you, when you observe that, in your studies, when you observe that, why do you think he did that? Well, I lean toward the fact that Perhaps this was his last letter. He knew it was going to be his last letter. And because of that, he did not want anyone to forget, and especially him, that where he came from, the old Simon and now the new Peter, a transformation between these two men are tremendous. What God has done and continues to do in a man from the point where he's not saved until then he is glorified and brought into heaven is amazing transformation. And so as he writes this letter, he didn't want to forget the fact that God took Simon and made him new Peter. That's our hope, my brothers and sisters. That God can take something and make something new.
So the apostle called himself Simon Peter, and Peter's not going to forget what took place in Caesarea Philippi in Matthew 16, 18, with the change of his name. But it wasn't just the name. His complete identity was changed in Caesarea Philippi. Go back, read Matthew 16, 18. That wasn't just someone giving a new name. Oh, that's so good. That's, let's just put some new clothes. No, it was an, it, he finally identified who he was and what God created him to be. What he was called to be, how to serve God in the capacity of what God's called him to do. Peter was changed from shifting sand to a rock, an unstable man, to a rock, angry, lashing out, steady, consistent, unreliable, steadfast. And it's so true today. Because that change took place because of Jesus. Jesus entered it into his life at a personal level. It wasn't something that was no of Jesus. He knew Jesus. And so true today, we all know of a teenager or a mom, a husband. We're still trying to figure out their identities in Christ. Being in the ministry as long as I have, it's amazing how many years to, to hear the stories. And, and you, you realize many people think they're a Christian, but they have not really found their identity in Christ. And that was Simon. It's interesting that he also says that he's the bond, a bondservant before an apostle. The order of this is in, in, important because he's saying, I'm a bondservant. I'm a, I'm a willing servant of Christ. I'm not made to do this. I don't have to do this. I choose. I want to serve my Christ. Peter considered him first a bondservant. The Greek word is doulos. A willing servant. And then an apostle. What means sent out one. It's, it's, again, he was one of the twelve that Jesus selected to be. Is it apostles that would change the world? Amazing. His standing as a bondservant was more important to him than his status as an apostle. 
Because this is a humbled man. This is a man who's been through the ministry and, and had matured. It, it wasn't about titles and positions and control in the ministry. It was about Jesus and knowing him and serving him. And he says to the people he's writing this letter to, look how interesting. He says, to those who obtained like precious faith with us. There's only one source where that faith comes from. That is the righteousness of God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Where else do you go for a saving faith? There is no other way. There is no other way to have a saving faith other than by the righteousness of God and the Savior, Jesus Christ. So Simon, as an apostle, a bondservant, he was one of the twelve, the originals. He's got the history behind him. He's got the time with Jesus personally. He saw him glorified. I mean, he's had the resume to say, why would you want to have Peter write? I've got the resume. Why? I know Jesus better than anybody else. But notice, he says to the believers there and encourages them. Because remember, this is a lot of Gentile believers, not Jewish believers in this area. He's saying to the Gentiles, you and I, the faith that I have is the same faith that you have. Do you understand that? The faith that we see in the life of Peter is the same faith that God offers to you and to me. Because there's only one source of that faith. And that's the righteousness of God. And our Lord Jesus Christ. So this word, this, 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 he, he kind of brings it around by this precious faith. And I, I, I spent some time on the word precious because it means beyond calculations. It's a faith that you can't even calculate. It's so heavy. It's so huge that he's talking about this kind of faith that will be poured out upon you. You couldn't, it's just, it can only come from one source. And so Peter wrote to those who had the same salvation he had experienced which he called this like precious faith. This faith was obtained. It was not by efforts of man that was obtained. No man can get this. Only by the righteousness of our God. He tells us too that faith is precious. For it deals with precious things. It deals with precious promises. It deals with precious blood and precious redemption. With all of the preciousness of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's huge. 
But this like precious faith speaks to the fact that the Jews and the Gentiles, both believers, enjoyed the same precious faith. That's why Peter is encouraging these believers because he knew what was going to be coming here. It was going to be really bad with the persecution. But then the false teachers come ripping through too. Because anytime you can get someone who is down, that's when the false teachers come. When you're down, that's when the enemy attacks. I mean, it's just when you're weak, that's when he is coming. And he will come to you in all shorts and kind of forms and sizes and, and, and ways. And he says, be very careful with that because you don't need to have someone tell you you're not saved when you need to have that assurity if it's based upon the righteousness of God. You can't let someone tell you because you're a Gentile, you don't have the same faith as a Jewish believer. The word precious is very clear in the Greek. It has equal value and honor. So he says, I want to encourage you, just know that it's precious faith. It's something you must protect. You must, at all costs, do not allow anyone to touch your faith. Mess with it in any form or fashion. You must protect it. That includes you. You do know that, right? You must protect your faith. Do not self-sabotage yourself. Which we can easily do. See, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, the grammar of the Greek language here demonstrates that Peter was no question making it very clear to his readers that he's sending out. This is a man who lived with Jesus, walked with Jesus for three years. He's saying, Jesus Christ is God. There's no question in his letter to these believers, don't let anyone convince you otherwise. Jesus Christ is God. If anyone tells you or sniffs anything even remotely other than that, you have to walk away from that immediately. Not some 99% quasi make-believe I got something really close to the original. Not, don't be messed with. That's how the enemy works. Many cults are formed on that same basis. So he continues here. By now expanding into the letter here, he explains the value of the knowledge of God. And this is why you're going to see why it's going to be your favorite book. You ready? Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he starts right off here indicating that grace and peace. These always are coming together in the scripture. They're both very precious gifts that God gives. Our, and it's, it's through how? It's through the knowledge of God. How do you receive the grace and peace? Through the knowledge of God. And of our Lord, of our, of our Jesus our Lord. So 
if someone says, I don't have sense the peace or the grace and the peace, because you're not gathering the knowledge of God. You're not focusing in on the Jesus, our Lord, in this respect. So you need to understand that as you are looking here, Peter is kind of encouraged them that he's blessing them, almost like a blessing, grace and peace be multiplied to you. So much come upon you in the knowledge of God uh, and of Jesus, our Lord. And as we, as we know God, we gain these essentials. We gain these essential foundations for our salvation and living is based on knowing God. How do you get to know God? By studying the word of God. By praying. And by being around believers. There is no other way. Yes, it's that simple. The only reason why you think it's difficult because you don't want to have anything to do with it. Not you, because you're here. But that's what they struggle with many times, is when you're struggling and you don't want anything to do with it, you're, you're not getting the knowledge of God and your understanding of who he is and who Jesus is as your Lord. And if you don't do those things, then you're not going to experience the multitude or multiplication of grace and peace upon your life. But the more knowledge you have of Jesus Christ, the greater understanding you, you'll have of your God is truly a God of grace. That you'll understand God of grace or the way of grace the more you pursue the knowledge of God. See, Jesus lavishes upon us freely due to the finished work of Calvary. When you understand that when Jesus died on the, the, that cross at Calvary, it was a finished work. And the result was unmistakably, undeniably, unshakably. Peace. What came from all that? Grace and peace. And grace and peace always walks hand in hand. You won't have peace until you're settled with the grace of God. It won't happen. Now in verse 3, as his divine power, remember it's not your power, it's not my power, it's his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So no. Not only grace and peace is given to you and I for the knowledge of God, but also all things that pertain to life and godliness are ours through that knowledge of God. Knowing God is the key to all things that pertain to life and godliness. Hello? Do you know how important that is for you and I? To live this life is to know God. Notice Peter makes it clear. He says everything we need to live an abundant, fulfilled life. Everything we need to live like Christ has already been given to us. 
oh, Lord, I want to live like you today. Oh, I don't, don't let me make any mistakes today. Oh, he's already given you everything you need. Everything. This is a major point because many don't have this understanding in their Christian walk. We think we need to pursue or find some key or some program or, or some other method or unlock some secret to the thing and you're always going from a book to the book at the book. Some, some blogger and all kinds of influencers and in even in the Christian world. You need to stop it. You need the knowledge of God in a personal way. To transform your life. We're all willing to try almost anything except the knowledge of God. We'll trust in Him and we will trust in all kinds of schemes and philosophies, plans, programs, instead of the knowledge of Him. How many times I have said, oh, pastor, oh, you, oh, I, I, I don't want to tell you. I, I don't know if I should, t I, I need to tell you, but I, <laughs> I don't, I know where it's coming. What, what, do I, what do I do? Let me teach you, you need to get into the word of God. You need God. You need the knowledge of God. You need to be transformed. That's what you need. We will try knowing ourselves before we'll know God. Oh, I need to have some time to, to, to kind of search my inner self and see what's going. You need to know God. That is why you're not at peace. That's why you're going squirreling in your head. That is why you're in unrest. You need to get the knowledge of God in you. <laughs> you focus on yourself way too much as it is. Why don't you spend time with God and let him think of, tell you what he thinks of you? So we'll try to look knowing ourselves instead of the knowledge of, but we need to come to the same place the Apostle Paul did when he said that I may know him, Philippians 3.10. What is your purpose? Oh, so just, may I know him more. I just want to know him more. The ancient Greek word for knowledge doesn't refer to a casual acquaintance. It means an exact, complete, direct, and thorough knowledge. It's not peripheral. It's not subtles. It's not just give me the cliff notes highlights. It is a complete, exact, deep knowledge. That is what Peter is saying to the believers. That is what it means to know God. And through the knowledge of him, we come to not the knowledge of him as we learn of him through his words, through prayer, and through the community of God's people. 
It is true that we need God alone. I understand that. But why do you say that? Oh, I just need God. It's just me and God. That's all I need. But why do you say that? What's the motive of you saying that? Understand, God does not meet us only in our solitude, which is very important, but also through the community of his people. That's how he shows himself as well. That's where many go wrong and do not grow in their knowledge of God because they absent from that opportunity for God to work and show himself through his people. See, this knowledge of God comes to those who are called, he says. Called us by glory and virtue. It is knowledge, but it is not merely intellectual understanding or intuition that he's talking about here. It is the knowledge that comes by experience and the experience that God's people have of God himself. And that's why it's personal and not just through someone else's experience. Who called us, he called us, he draw us by glory and virtue. It is Jesus' glory and virtue that motivated him to call us And it is his glory and virtue that draws us to him for this meaningful life with him. In verse 4, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. This life that he's called us to comes with exceedingly great and precious promises. You mean I don't have to show up with something to get some benefit from this relationship? No. He paid it all. Because he loves you. And has been given to you and I, to us, exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. There's a divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Everything that is dark, all come, when you follow back through, all comes back to lust. All the darkness that's out there. This explains the value of the glory and the virtue of God that calls us by these He gives us exceedingly great and precious promise. This means that the promises of God are based upon His glory and His virtue that never changes. They're perfectly reliable. Why? Because God cannot compromise. 
He cannot compromise his glory and his, his virtue. It is absolutely guaranteed of these promises. But when you don't understand the scriptures, then you many times in your walk will flounder and think the promises are for everyone else and not for you. When the scripture is very clear to us, as Peter speaking to these believers, you have the same faith as I do. You have all the same promises that I do. An abundant life. Psalm 138.2 reminds us that God honors his word even above his name. We never have to doubt any promise of God. It's for this reason. God's promises are both exceedingly great in the sense of they're just huge. And they are precious in the sense that they're very valuable. What he's offering to us is amazing. It was, it was considerable importance and to the comfort of the Gentile believers at that time because of the struggles. I wasn't a Jew when I got saved. Uh, is, it, uh, is it really going to be the same? Is it, is it, am I not going to because I wasn't a Jew and a believer? All these things can get squirrely in people's heads. It still happens today. It just don't, it's usually not Jew-Gentile issue. It's usually some other issues like my past, that's why I don't think I'll, I probably won't ever get the promises of God. Or I'm not perfect every single day. Maybe that's why I'm not going to get the promises of God. Or I just didn't do enough and do enough, do enough, do enough, do enough. That means that, that's why I'm not going to get the promises of God. See, once you get past the religiosity and focus on the relationship, you'll grow. Peter says you'll, you'll, you'll grow, you'll mature. It's through these things you may be partakers of the divine nature. This explains the value of the, the great and precious promises. Through these promises, one of the, the key, I believe, is your, you and I get to be partakers of the divine nature. That's a celebration moment. You do know that, right? The divine nature. God has changed your nature. It's changed. <laughs> I know what you're going to tell me. Don't forget, I watch your lives too, you know. But I know that you have the divine nature. It's interesting, Peter goes on to explain how you will know if you have that divine nature. You ready for this? This will be life-changing for you. Look what happens here. Because not only will he give you the divine nature, 
but he gives you a way to escape from the worldly lusts that are coming against you every single day. So not only does he change your nature and give you a divine nature, he then changes and gives you escape route to get away from and no longer be influenced by the lusts of this world. I don't know why you're not celebrating, but I should, you should be celebrating in your mind. Because look what he says here. Now the question is, how do you know you have the divine nature? How are you going to be able to escape from the lusts of this world? He tells us right here in verses 5 through 7 how it works. Watch this. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence... This is not half-heartedness he's talking about. This is not, oh, I'll try to do it once a week kind of moment. Once, twice, three times a year, maybe? All diligence. Add to your faith. What faith? The faith that he was talking about in the very verse 1, the same faith that Peter has. The righteousness of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. To that faith, you need to add virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Be honest with yourself. How many times have you read through that scripture and just said, oh, that's nice. And you moved right on to verse 8, 9, or you stopped and went on to a... Let me look somewhere else in the Bible to look. Or you had a squirrel moment and you're off onto your phone again. Let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, how important these verses are. Because he says, for this very reason, in light of all the fact that we have everything we need to enjoy a fully, a life full and abundant life that is godly, everything, in light of the fact that we have been given hundreds and hundreds of promises so graciously that he didn't have to give to us, you understand that? Being saved is one thing, but then he tells you, he gives you promises on top of that? In light of the fact that we are free from the grasp of lust of this world no longer, we are to be those who add to their faith diligently. Why is that important? Because as partakers of the divine nature, but once we've made spiritual, became spiritual sons and daughters, as Paul would refer to it as, growth in the Christian life doesn't just happen to us. 
We're supposed to work out. We're supposed to give all diligence to our walk with the Lord. It is our responsibility to do what it takes to continue to allow that relationship to grow. And the only way you're going to be able to do this is if you add to that faith. We begin our life with God, with faith. Yes, but faith must progress into the virtue. Then into knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. That love in the Greek is agape. It's an unconditional love. It's the capstone of all of God's work in us. Note, if you haven't noted and observed this when you studied the scripture... Note, the first five virtues pertain to one's inner life. And the last two are all about the inner life and in our relationship with God. But the last two relate to others. But the scope of what we're seeing here, we'll go through it really quick. But the scope of the list demonstrates that God wants us to be a well-rounded Christian life. We can't be content or feel good in an incomplete Christian life. See, because faith, we must add virtue. And I think that is the very first step for you to be able to grow as a Christian. If you can't get this master down, you won't see the rest. You may think you see it. Question is, does anyone else see it? Let me see. I'll, I'll step you through really quick, and so you can see the importance I believe in these in this just these verses alone. Virtue. How many, in your mind? How many people know what the word virtue means to you? I've come down to two words all these years. Moral excellence. That's the best way I can kind of capture the word virtue. Moral excellence. You need to add to your faith moral excellence. What does that mean? That means there's a darkness of this culture. The lust that he says he's going to help you escape from of this world. That surrounds us daily through so many methods that can no longer have a place in our lives. The scripture I always say and go back to is 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 21 and 22. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good and abstain from every form of evil. That is the most simplest thing that God has given us in there, not just even simpler, but for this topic, that is the most concise verses to tell you. Any child can tell you. They see something and you're staring at it like it's no big deal. They look at it and say, ooh, that's evil. You better listen to the child because you're obviously not grown up. Because you have so blinded, as we will see, talked about, and we read this, so nearsighted that you don't even see the fact that you can't have moral excellence in your life because you're allowing darkness to come into your life through all kinds of mechanisms. 
You must get it, you must get the darkness out. And I'm not going to give you a list of what it is. The Holy Spirit's going to show you. If you choose today, I need to have that virtue in my life. If I say I'm a Christian, I need that virtue. That is where you start, my brothers and sisters. And say, Lord, examine me. If there's anything that I am doing and walking, seeing that is of any darkness, I need to see it now and I need to cut it off now. Or you'll never grow in virtue. It can be the most interesting little ways and books you read, the music you do. The, oh, don't even get me started on the internet. But that's where darkness gets in, and that's where the you don't have that escape because you're still allowing the lust of the world to keep coming into your life, and you're not growing. Then virtue, you add knowledge. And you can't add knowledge if your minds are cluttered with the violence and the lusts and the darkness. Then you won't be able to extract the knowledge about the life from the word of God. You're not, you might be reading it, but you're not extracting the, what God wants you to have is a life that change, life-changing things from your life because it's too cluttered. You've got to, your, your, your inbox is full. Oh, and that just drive you crazy? When you call someone, I'm like, your mailbox is full, you know. God wants to impart into your life through the word of God and you've got a bunch of junk in your email box and it's full and you wonder why it's not changing you when you come to Bible studies on Sunday after, on Sundays and, and, and you read this book and you read that and it's not changing you. You know why? Because you got your inbox is full and it's not of godly things. Choose moral excellence. Then you'll be able to add knowledge. And it would be the knowledge that will be a life-changing knowledge. Not just intellectual knowledge. But it will be a life-changing. It will be extracted because the Holy Spirit will be able to get in there. Because my spirit is so filled with junk of the world. It needs to be cleansed out. And it needs to be given an opportunity for the word of God to come in. And then you take the knowledge and you add self-control because as I gain knowledge, if I'm not very, very, very careful, I will begin to say, I know the Bible. Oh, I read that Bible before. I have a Bible. <laughs> I have a Bible. I don't know where it is, but I have a Bible. When did you last open it? Don't know. Peter warns us that we must be sure we don't get caught up in the pharisaical pseudo-intellectualism that makes us feel
that because I've I've read the Bible so much I I I I'm I'm just, I, you know I, I I know more than most people have I I I know my Bible I've read it quite a bit I still study it be very careful you can become a Pharisaical pseudo intellectual and it's a danger that's why. Peter is saying, okay, I got you. You got great knowledge. This is, this is beautiful. This is great. But be very careful with this subtleness because if you don't add self-control with this here, then you're, what you're going to do is find yourself in a really big trouble here. And it was what we'll call it pride. Pride will selfish pride or a, a, a righteous pride will come and it's not going to be good for you to be able to continue to grow. That's why self-control is important to be added to knowledge. And then self-control, you add perseverance. Or uh, hupomone is the Greek word. It means patience. And so although self-control is evident in my life and everything is going well in that area, if I'm not careful, I can become impatient with those who are not patient, who are not in self-control who not have the knowledge, who are not haven't figured out how to have moral excellence yet, you become this, again, you're not going to be very patient and you're going to be responding. And that's why Peter says, okay, I know you got the self-control, but make sure you have patience with that because people around you are not where you're at yet. Be patient with them. But I also say with you, it also speaks to you and I as, as well. Because sometimes we become very impatient with ourselves because we want to see things change. We want to grow fast. It's only a matter of time if you're on this path of adding, you're going to see the fruit. That's because the, the promises are in the word of God. It will happen. So through that, self-control is evident in my mind. Yes, yes, yes. I can become so impatient with other people that therefore I must add patience to my self-control. Now perseverance, patience, add godliness. Yes. Seemed very obvious. But I, I pondered on this and I said, you know, what is it about godliness that needs to be now added wouldn't godliness be the very beginning? No, you're starting to see more of the godly characteristics that are starting to come upon into your, your life. It's this, you can get to a point that we have to be patient, but not to a point where I no longer stand for righteousness and godliness. Some people can get there and say, oh, I am so patient. I am so grace, 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 grace. I got that. I, I am the most gracious person. Oh, I'll just love, love, love you, love you. But you get to a point where you can get so far that you're, you don't add godliness. You won't speak truth into someone else's life. You no longer stand for righteousness and godliness. 
You might stand for a religion or stand for religious things or religious ways. No, no, come back to godliness. Come back to who you worship. The God of the universe. And on godliness, you add brotherly kindness. Now we're seeing everything before was the inner, inner person. Now, in relationship with God, now it's the godliness adding uh, add brotherly kindness. It's the brotherly kindness keeps the, the godliness from becoming harsh. You can get to a point in your walk with the Lord where you have such godliness that if you do not put on, add to your life a brotherly kindness, you become very harsh toward others. For brotherly kindness dictates that we be generous to other people, open-handed, forgiving, charitable. If you don't add brotherly kindness, you'll become that religious, self-righteous person and become very harsh and critical toward other people in their walk with Christ. And brotherly kindness add love. And because John tells us that love, that agape love, is the proof that we have passed from death to life, go back and read 1 John 3.14. But it's the, same, it's the same love that God exhibits towards sinners in John 3.16. Agape love. Now, how do these qualities measure up in your life? That's what Peter's now doing. I've lined this all out, told you the importance of it, the promises to it. Now he tells the readers, how do you measure up to that? So he says here, for these, if these things are yours and abound, keyword if, these things, what things? Verses 5 through 7, those things, those seven characteristics, seven areas, are yours. Not your parents. Not your spouse. Fill in the blank. Peter is saying to the reader, the listener today, are they yours? Are they yours? And not only are they a little smidgen of possible, I think I can magnify and see some spots. Occasionally I saw it once happen here. And ten, twelve, two years ago, I saw it happen once other time. And oh, every year, or once a year, it only displays on special occasions. And then, does it abound? Does it abound in your life? Look at what he says here. The promise is, is you will be neither barren nor fruitful 
in the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. See, Christian growth, my brothers and sisters, is the result in the spiritual effectiveness and productivity will come from you adding these things in your life. These things. If you feel barren, you feel unfruitful spiritually, if you are going through a dry season in your walk, the Holy Spirit inspired Peter then, and the Holy Spirit is telling you now to start working on these things. Start adding these things to your life. It's not too late. Start again. Start again. <laughs> it's not too late. And if you do these things, and they start abounding in your life, it will be very evident, and because you are not going to be barren and unfruitful spiritually in your knowledge of Christ and Him working in and through, it's a personal relationship. Relationally, you're not, people are not going to look at your life and say, I don't see a Christian life in that. I, don't, I don't, would never have guessed at work he was a Christian. That would just not happen. You don't have to say that you're a Christian. Again, when you are abounding in these things, the fruit is so evident to people, to believers and non-believers. The word barren and unfruitful characterizes the lives of many Christians today, unfortunately. We call them cardinal. Who lack these qualities because of their lack of knowledge of God. That is, knowing him relationally. Relationally fuller, deeper sense of knowing. And may they abound in us. Don't forget what that means in that growth in grace. Because some may feel good that these qualities are seen occasionally in us from time to time. But Peter says we must continue to grow until they're abounding. And let grace, have grace, because it, will, it will eventually will happen if you will continue to pursue him. But you must start adding virtue. Flood your life with more moral excellence. Get out of darkness now. Because the degree to which you add these qualities to your life will be the degree to which you will be fruitful and productive in the knowledge of the Lord. Jesus said in John 15, 4, Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things, okay, you've acknowledged sitting here, you're listening, I lack these things. Okay, even to these things is short-sighted. You're just, you're just not seeing the big picture. You're not seeing 
why this is this is why you're not growing and even to blindness to a point you've like almost like act, act like you're not even a christian anymore the way you think and has forgotten that he has been cleansed or he was cleansed past tense was cleansed from his old sins that is the problem with many Christians. They'll start creeping back into the, the lust of the world, and they start getting short-sightedness of who you are in Christ. You almost get to a point you're blinded, the fact of who you are in Christ. The fact that your sins were forgiven. They were taken away. They were washed away. But if you lack these things, Peter says, it shows that we have an eye problem. Unable to see God. Only ourselves. The problem is, is all you can see is yourself and not God. It's all about you. See, the reason for this condition, it also states... Such a one has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. That's why communion, when we're here and do communion, to remember that your sins were cleansed. You cannot forget that. You need to continue to come to the table. You need to continue every day. Thank you for cleansing me from my old sins. Perhaps this is one has forgotten how bad he was. And that is why you're short-sighted and blind and gone back into the lust of the world. You forgot how bad you were and how much he needed this cleansing. Perhaps this is the one has forgotten the great cost of the purging of the sins of the dirty stain in your life. And he did that. Perhaps this is the one who has forgotten how great and complete the cleansing is and making at once a guilty sinner, now a pure and as white as snow. Isaiah 118. We'll close here in verses 9 and 10. He really now brings it in and he tells you why it's so important that you follow his directions in his letter. To make sure our call and election is sure. How do I know if someone is saved or not? Only God knows. But I'm a fruit inspector. <laughs> I look at people's lives. That's what I am. I look at people's lives. And I just have to watch them and just interact with them. And I'll know where they're at in their journey in the, in the maturity. Or if they're not saved because of what they... They, they, they say they're not, they are not followers of Jesus. But, but even if those who say they're followers of Jesus, I can tell where they're at because there's no fruit. They can't make their calling and election sure. That's why many Christians struggle. Am I saved or am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? Oh, no, I'm not saved this day. Ooh, no. Oh, I, I think I'm saved today. I think I did pretty good today. See, that's not, that's not good. Come see me. I want to help you personally one-on-one. -on -one because I need you to get off that roller coaster. 
and I need to get you on a plan for you to grow in these in these these things because even if but even more diligent to make your call and election sure this shows how we can be sure that God called us that he that we are his elect that the surety of our faith we have the divine nature it is by these things spoken of there in verses 5 through 7 That's how we know that we're saved. That's how we know we have the divine nature. And we know that things are changed by these these things. And as we see these things in our life, we know that our lives are becoming more like the nature of Jesus and not of the culture. It shows that we are being comfortable Formed to the image of his son, Romans 8.29. And is it possible, and it is possible, for an unsaved person to be, to do many moral and religious duties? Oh yes. Many unsaved do very many moral and religious duties. It doesn't save them. But these things, Peter wrote, are the matters of the heart and should be evident in anyone who is born again. And if we are born again, it shows in the way we live. Yes, I know many will make it look really perfect on a Sunday. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how are you living when you're by yourself. See, for if you do these things, that means you have an act in this, that you have your responsibility. If you do these things, you will never stumble. Hello, did you ever notice those words, never? What does never mean? Hello? Never? You will never stumble. If you do these things, In pursuing these things, we keep from stumbling. Because every day you're pursuing these things, and because you're so focused on these things, the things of the world just fade away. The things of the flesh just fade away. The things of the past just fade away. The concerns of the future fade away. And you're focused on your relationship with Christ and doing what he's called you to do today and when you do that you're going to see a continual growth and progress in the Christian life in the sure way to keep from stumbling but this is a beautiful promise look at this at verse 11 for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, it's wonderful the fact that you're getting promises while you're living this life here. It's great the fact that you have an escape from the lust that's been controlling you, all the lusts of this world. 
the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It will lead us to an entrance that leads us right into the arms of our Savior. Ask Stephen. Oh, he saw the entrance. Ask Paul. He got to experience when he knew he was going to die. Think about the fact that this promise here that Peter is reminding his readers of the great reward of a calling and election made sure having this divine nature. You have this guaranteed entrance into the presence of God. Isn't that the ultimate reward? The ultimate reward of a growing Christ-honoring life is the personal welcome by the Savior into his kingdom. How much more wonderful of a welcome home can you get? But I leave you with the final question. Do you have the divine nature? Let us pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be able to open up your word, gain the knowledge of you. And I pray, Lord, that every ear was open to hear, heart soft enough to receive which you spoke to each person personally because this is all about a personal relationship and you personally want to speak to each of us. I pray, Lord, you will have your way. The Holy Spirit, nothing will grieve you from having your way in the lives of each person. And this will be a life-changing day for all. I pray today if there's anyone right now listening that has never given their life to you and started by adding faith, the same faith that Peter talked about, that as you, I know there's no question, you're knocking at the door of that person's heart right now and you're saying, I'm talking to you, young man. I'm talking to you, young lady. I'm talking to you. If you open up your life and allow me to come in, I'll give you that divine nature and forgive you of your sins. If there's anyone here today that would like to give their life to Jesus Christ, I don't, make, I don't put you on the spot. All the eyes are closed. Just raise your hand so I know who I'm going to be praying for. <clears throat> that would like to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That God's touching your heart. Don't deny him. Please don't deny him. Just raise your hand. Take that step. He's come to you. He's taken the step to knock at your door. Now the question is, will you be willing to open? And I'll let him come into your life. that's speaking of you just raise your hand just high enough for me to see 
Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you for your love, your agape love upon our lives. I pray, Lord, you will bless each person who came, who is listening online. That you would bless them, protect them, Lord, and use them as a mighty army to go reach the lost in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.